Well, good morning to you, fine people of internet land. It's Larry here, writer and artist over at LarryGMcGuire.com. Hope you're well. You're listening to The Daily Larb. This is episode 117, I do believe. And uh, sometimes I lose track. It could be 116, but I really think it's 117. And um, today I am the very proud recipient, very happy, proud, probably the wrong word. I'm the very excited... um, uh, bowled over with uh, enthusiasm for some reading material that just landed in my door. I've got uh, I've got some um, books that just arrived from Amazon. Uh, only invested about forty quid, and uh, I got my hands on uh, Abraham Maslow's theory of human motivation. I'm going to read you a little bit from that. Uh, I've got Howard Gardner, Multiple Intelligences. Uh, his famous book, 200,000 copies sold. Uh, it's going to take a while to read that one. Uh, I've got another one from uh, Maslow, Towards the Psychology of Being. Going to enjoy that too. Um, all of this stuff influences me, you know. Uh, and I find when I read that there's elements of what I'm reading I already know. Have you ever, have you ever found that? Is that something inside you already had an inkling towards that thing and it just like it it's like it rings a bell you know uh i remember i was listening to i listened to alan watts all the time although there are spaces when i don't listen to him at all but uh a, a lot of his work resonates with me a lot and i remember one night i was sitting in my bed uh sitting up i don't know what i was doing i think i had my phone i was just maybe i was writing or doing something and uh, I stuck on a, an audio clip that I found from um, Alan Watts. And in the clip, he was talking about uh, a concept he had of human existence and wh- what we are uh, relative to the broader intelligence that seems to encompass everything. And he used the analogy of uh, a light source and uh, taking a spherical object with pinholes in it uh, a dark spherical object with pinholes that only allowed the light to escape through the pinholes. He asked us to visualize that spherical object being placed down over the light source and the light uh, protruding out through each pinhole and casting itself onto the surface of the room. And I was blown away because only a couple of weeks earlier, I had come up with the same notion. Uh, I was playing with my kids' uh, planetarium. It's a you can buy it in um, toy stores or whatever. I can't remember who made it. Maybe it's uh, National Geographic made it. I can't. I can't remember. That doesn't matter. But uh, I had this this toy that I bought the kids, and I had a light source in the middle of it and a little motor, and you took the this dark ball which had the constellations mapped out on it. It was, a, it was a black ball, but the constellations were clear, transparent. So when you took this ball with a little slot in the bottom and you placed it over the light source, the little motor turned the whole thing and cast out uh, the constellations onto the ceiling in the room. And I said, fuck, that's exactly what we are, you know? It's like we're this, these little... We're aspects of the same source, you know. Anyway, um, so that's what it's like, you know, when you read. When I, certainly when I read stuff, I'm like, wow, that's cool. Uh, 
that kind of connects things. You know, you've got these maybe separated ideas and you read a book by somebody else and all of a sudden things start to fit together. So that's why I like books, especially uh, non-fiction um, stuff, you know. <clears throat> so that's Maslow's yoke. I got, uh, I have a real um, lean towards uh, Richard Feynman, the scientist, the um, physicist. Uh, so I picked up his book. Uh, well, it's actually by someone else. Who wrote this? Surely you're joking, Mr. Feynman. Uh, Adventures of a Curious Character. Richard Feynman. No, but someone else wrote this. I know there was, maybe it was ghostwritten or something. I'm not sure. Um, Ralph Layton. Richard Feynman was the most famous physicist in our world, in the world. Well, maybe. Uh, didn't... Um, what you call him died there last week. Only an infinitesimal part of the general population could properly understand his mathematical physics, but his outgoing and sunny personality, his gift for exposition, his habit of playing the bongo drums, and his testimony to the Presidential Commission on the Challenger Space Shuttle disaster turned him into a celebrity. Richard Feynman died in 1988 after a long illness. In its obituary, the New York Times described him as Arguably the most brilliant iconoclastic and influential of the post-war generation theoretical physicist. Da, da, da. But he was fun to listen to. He still is if he catches stuff on YouTube. So that's that book. And then uh, here's one I've been uh, planning to get my hands on for a while. It's uh, Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. And uh, he wrote this in his uh, tent, I believe. Uh, at various stages in his life, um, and uh, while Rome were warmongering across Europe, <laughs> so that's that one. That's what I believe. It could be way wrong, but uh, so uh, that's the story. Got them in the post this morning, and um, I obviously won't be able to read them all at once. But the first one I'm going to read because it's it's quite small. Uh, it's it's actually a, a paper written by Abraham Maslow. Is um, theory of human motivation, uh, Maslow's what of needs, hierarchy of needs, um, and he has on the top self actualization. So I'm going to read this. Uh, I'm going to give you a little bit from it too. Um, so, so I'm going to read you a little piece now from uh, Abraham Maslow's Toward the Psychology of Being, and uh, I think this is. This first few paragraphs of uh, the preface to the book um, interests me a lot because it kind of plugs into my own thoughts on uh, people's notions of selfishness and altruism and uh, what makes a good human being, you know, and perhaps uh, cultural and societal and religious notions that we must give of ourselves or ourselves to be valuable and I know in the business world certainly in a lot of commentary online you'll read about you know uh, in order for you to build a business etc that you need to uh, give people what they want and that uh, you've got to ask them what they want and you have to provide value uh, and all this as if as if those things could come first you know 
But there's something more fundamental that must come first. This is what the Artist's Manifesto talks about. It talks about putting yourself first and putting your your work first, your art, your art first, and not uh, listen to what other people say you should do, you know. So I'm going to read this for you, and this is relevant, you know what I mean. Uh, and I should say as well that... Uh, um, and what kind of was on my mind before I began recording this episode today was that uh, when I received these books today, I was looking at them and was going, isn't it, it became apparent that, um, uh, not like it wasn't apparent before, but specifically this morning, that all these things are connected and that all of this, this material that we read, you know, that we pick up, that uh, we digest and that we learn, or whatever, it's all connected. It's all one piece of information even that's not accurate because that implies that there are boundaries to it and there's, there's not it's it's all the same it's all one event it's all one communication and it's like a stream and it keeps coming so all this material that i read and everything i write it's all connected okay so abraham maslow toward a psychology of being I have had a great deal of trouble choosing a title for this book. The concept, psychological health, though still necessary, has very various intrinsic shortcomings for scientific purposes, which are discussed at various appropriate places in the book. So also does psychological illness and the existential psychologist, uh, as the existential psychologists have recently stressed, we can still use these normative terms and, as a matter of fact, for heuristic reasons, we must use them at this time, and yet I am convinced that they will be obsolete within a decade. This book was written in, uh, when was this one published? Uh, published in 2011, first edition, when was the first edition published? I can't see the date. Anyway, I'll read on. A much better term is self-actualization, as I have used it. It stresses full humanness, the development of the biological-based nature of man, and therefore is empirically normative for the whole species rather than for particular times and, and places, i.e. it is less culturally, culturally relative. It conforms to biological destiny rather than to historically arbitrary, culturally local, value-based models, as the terms health and illness often do. It also has empirical content and operational meaning. However, besides being clumsy from a literal a literary point of view, this term has proven to have the unforeseen shortcomings of A, uh, appearing to imply selfishness rather than altruism, B, to slur the aspect of duty and of dedication to life tasks, C, to neglect the ties to other people and to society and the dependence of individual fulfilment upon a good society, to neglect the demand character of non-human reality and its intrinsic fascination and interest, e, to neglect egolessness and self-transcendence, and f, to stress by implication activity rather than passivity or receptivity. This has turned out to be so in spite of my careful efforts to describe the empirical fact that self-actualizing people are, are altruistic, dedicated, self-transcending, social, etc. The word self seems to put people off, and my redefinitions and empirical description are often helpless before the powerful linguistic habit of identifying self with selfish and with pure autonomy. 
also have found, to my dismay, that some intelligent and capable psychologists persist in treating my empirical description of the characteristics of self-actualizing people as if I had arbitrarily invented these characteristics instead of discovering them. Full humanness seems to me to avoid some of these misunderstandings. And also, human diminution... Dimin... dimin <laughs> pardon me or uh, stunting, serves as a better substitute for illness, and even, perhaps, also for neurosis, psychosis, and psychopathy. At least these terms are more useful for general psychological and social theory, if not for psychotherapeutic practice. <clears throat> so essentially what he's saying here, if you didn't catch that, apart from my little blunder there, is that um, this... Uh, psychology of being his theory of motivation human motivation upon uh, the top of which this uh, at the top of this triangle or this pyramid of needs is self-actualization being the most fundamental or important as uh, the realization of self is that a lot of people have uh, in their position of being hooked into this notion that we must give of ourselves to be valuable to be worth something to give to other people and sacrifice our own intrinsic values and worth uh, <clears throat> is uh, and that his stuff is is rubbish you know that uh, it's it's it leads to anarchy almost you know and this is religion's idea or at least the one that we've been, give, been given and it serves to control people you know when you give them this notion that they must uh, sacrifice themselves uh, and give themselves to other people first in order to be worth something in order to be worthy of uh, maybe uh, a place in God's house when you die, even if you're not religious, you might be hooked into this notion because it's uh, embedded in our cultural ideas uh, and our ways of life, you know. And there's nothing more important to me than myself, you know. I've sa I, I keep saying it, I've written it several times, and I, I say it, I've said it here on the podcast several times that uh, the artist manifesto I wrote for me, you know. And if it's of value to other people, uh, well, then that's just great. I wrote it as a reminder to myself of what I should be doing and why. And I think it's relevant to everybody, you see, because fundamentally there is the self. As I was talking to my son last night, we were talking about time and space. And he was asking me loads of questions about, you know, is the stuff out there real? When I look at the stars, I mean, are they there? You know, or um, is it just an illusion? I think it, there must have been other stuff he was reading or, or maybe he was getting some stuff from his teacher in school or something like that. But um, all of these things, the whole, the whole entire world and everyone in it is the way it is by virtue of our nervous system. If we didn't have eyes to see, we wouldn't see the stars and therefore they wouldn't exist. You know, they wouldn't, if I'm, the, the stars don't exist to a blind man. They only exist to me because I have eyes. And although there appears to be other people, when I interact with people out there in the world, they are who they are to me by virtue of who I am. They can't be other than that. And they're, they're, albeit they might look the same, they might, when I look at them and describe how they look, describe their hair and their face and their trousers and the, the shirt that they wear, or the dress and the shoes that they wear, they might seem the same to you. You might say, yeah, I agree with that. Now, you might, you're... you're a visual perception might suggest that the colours are different to the colours I describe because you see colour different than me. 
But by and large, we'll agree that this is the same person. But then again, in eyewitness testimony, people attest to different things. People describe different people. You know, there's no consistency. So why is it that I see things different to you? Now, we might agree in the large part about what we're looking at. If we're both in the same scene, we're both in the same environment and we're describing it, we might describe something very similar. But the, the scene is different to me than it is to you, subtly different. And so are individuals. That's why last night we were talking about, I was talking to my son. He said, well, I could have a friend and my friend could have the same friend and we could talk about that person and, and I could say he's this and the other person could say he's that, but we, we, we might disagree. Is that what you mean? I said, well, that's exactly what I mean. Uh, if, you, if you and me uh, know somebody, I might think that somebody is a terrible person while your interactions with him might suggest he's a good person. So who's right? You know, Is the person good and bad? Or is the person uh, good and bad simply because of how you perceive them? Is the world structured by virtue of how we see it? I wouldn't be inclined to say yes. So when somebody suggests to me that I am selfish because I am totally focused on me, they misunderstand. They misunderstand because to be selfish, to be truly selfish, to be truly focused on oneself and to do things that bring about... uh, your happiness and my happiness, to be completely engaged in those things is to benefit the whole world. If everybody focused on their own happiness instead of everybody else's, the world would be a much better place. You see, the reason why people are dropping bombs over in Syria at the moment, for example, is because governments believe in these ideals that they have set up. They believe that in order to bring about happiness and contentment and to be right, to be proper and to build a proper society that they must inflict pain and hurt on other people it's a necessary evil you know and this is a screwed up notion it means that these people are suffering as a result of our righteousness and as a result of our need to have the creature comforts that we have as if we can't get them from somewhere else you know and although that's a that's a big uh, a big uh, uh, example and an emotive example, if you look at your life at a, uh, a micro level, you'll see the same things playing out. That we constantly look to other people to satisfy our needs. And when they don't do it, we get cross, we get angry, we get agitated, we get frustrated, we cry, we get sad. Because these people don't fulfill our needs. And we have this focus on other people performing and doing a dance to satisfy us. That makes us happy. We have these cultural notions We have these ideas of what's good, right, proper, true, and all of this stuff. And we apply it to other people and we say, now, here's what being good means. Here's Here's what a good society looks like. Here's what a good son looks like. Here's what a good husband and wife looks like. Here's what a happy home looks like. Here's what a tidy house looks like. Here's what a dishwasher loaded properly looks like. Now do it, will you? Because if you don't do it, you make me angry, you know? And this is, this is what happens at a political level. And for you and me to stand up and jump up and down that other people aren't dancing to our tune, well, that's the, that is the definition of insanity because we're completely disconnected from the one thing that we should be doing and that's focusing on ourselves and our own happiness and doing things that satisfy our own intrinsic needs, not outside us. If the world is not there to satisfy us. The world is not there to make us happy. It never will. That happiness is ultimately up to us. 
and to look to other people, governments, politicians, businesses, clients, teachers, children, to do the dance according to our demands is foolish. It's completely naive, completely and utterly naive. And until the world wakes up and realises on an individual level that we must focus on ourselves first and do, if, if everybody focused on the one thing that makes them happy, really, and took their attention off everybody else, everybody will be doing things that make them, hap- that make them happy. Is that not, does that not make sense? It makes sense to me. But that's not going to happen, you see. Not in my time. Uh, so this is why um, when I read from Maslow's book, the first, the, the preface, the preface, <laughs> I struggle with that word. What's going on? The preface to the book. And he talks about other people saying, hold on, Maslow, you're full of shit. What you're, what you're promoting there is people who are selfish, you know? Well, he is, but selfish in the best possible meaning of the word. And uh, I'm buying into it, you know. So that's uh, Toward the Psychology of Being, uh, Abraham Maslow, one of the books that I bought. And uh, got some work to do on them. I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to have to read all that. There are five books there. How many is it? Yeah. So that's it. So what do you reckon? Do you agree? Do you disagree? That's my position. The Artist Manifesto is out in a couple of weeks' time. I talk about this stuff. And uh, I think it's important. So uh, watch out for that. I'll be making the PDF and uh, EPUB and Mobi versions free uh, for download. And the paperback will be purchasable from Amazon. And the audiobook will be also. And uh, I've got some uh, paperbacks and stuff uh, going free too. If you choose to be a patron, get over to patreon.com forward slash Larry G. McGuire and check out what I've got there for you. Some prizes some rewards for being a patron patronage starts at only a dollar a month and you can help me uh make more time to write this stuff and record this stuff and keep adverts off this podcast which i don't want to do um also if you want to read some of my material get over to larrygmaguire.com that's where you'll find all my material and uh i'll be uh, looking forward to seeing you there so that's it for this episode of the daily larb thanks for listening in i hope you have a good day i'm getting out to uh screw some screws in the walls and pull some cables in and do other stuff stuff that pays the bills for now so that's it keep your eye out for the artist manifesto it's coming up in a couple of weeks okay all the best for now take care bye bye